impossible dreams. It seems like every time I dream a dream and I wake up and I think about the dream, it's just, it's just nonsensical, like it doesn't even make any kind of sense. And, and you, I, guess that's, I guess that's just how my brain works. Um, but I remember there was this one dream that I have, and I don't really remember exactly what the dream was all about, but I remember the feeling that I had as a result of the dream. I did something horrible, something terrible. I don't remember what it was. I committed a crime. I did something, and my life was absolutely ruined. And in the dream, I felt the weight of that burden just all over me as far as what I had done, the guilt and just the circumstance and, and how the rest of my life was just going to be horrible because of what I had done and because of, of what had happened. And then I woke up. And you can imagine whenever I woke up, I thought to myself, oh, it was just a dream. I mean, I was so relieved that my life and my very existence as I knew it and enjoyed and, and the, all the people that I love, and I don't know if I was going to go to prison. I remember what I had done in, my, in that dream. Uh, to have, but I remember waking up and feeling such a sense of relief that, oh, thank goodness, that was just a dream. You know, whenever we talk about being justified before God, uh, I, hope, I hope that you have the, the same sense of relief when you realize that what you deserve, hell and death for all of eternity, has, has been removed. It's been completely taken away from you. And that's what this series is about, how our punishment, our penalty, that weight, that guilt um, of eternal death that we deserve, that it's been completely moved, and God has justified us. God has declared us righteous. And by the way, if you haven't picked up on this, when we started this, if you were here last week, if you didn't pick up on this, whenever we talk about being justified, we're talking about being saved. We're, we're talking about being born again, knowing Jesus, having a relationship with Jesus, possessing eternal life. These are all synonyms of what we're talking about when we're speaking about being justified. This means that you have been judicially vindicated. Your status has changed. You were once unrighteous, and now God has declared you righteous. You were guilty, and now God has declared you not guilty. And this happened because Jesus made a blood payment for you on that cross. His sin, your, your sin was imputed to him, and God's wrath fell upon him. His righteousness was imputed to us, and God's favor and God's grace has fallen upon us. And last week, what we talked about in concern with being justified is the way that this happened uh, is not because we earned it, not because we've done anything to deserve it through no wage of our own, but it's been paid for by Christ. But it happened to us because of faith, faith alone. Sola fide, faith alone. Faith is all that is necessary. And we spent a lot of time talking about that last week. And I hope that that gives you a sense of relief. There is no performance necessary on your part. I find that, in, in, I've been doing this a while, I've been in ministry a while, I've had a lot of spiritual conversations with people, and I find that um, it's, it's a recurring thing that people are always trying to perform for God. They're always trying to do a work in order to make God happy. They're always trying to 
earn his favor. Well, this teaching, this doctrine of justification says that basically Jesus has justified you through his blood. He's made the payment. He's done all the work that is necessary. So for us, faith is simply complete surrender and reliance upon Christ for everything. That's what faith is. And this is what I tried to explain last week, that faith is not a payment that we make to God. Faith is, faith is, is, uh, is, is more like an abandonment that we make to God, where we set everything aside and we say, I'm going to utterly surrender everything to God. I'm going to rely upon Christ for everything in my life. And it's amazing to me how a lot of people don't pursue this, how they try to pursue works in order to please God. Let me ask you this question. How many times have you said, Lord, I'm going to do better and failed? It happens all the time, doesn't it? Oh, Lord, I'm going I'm to do better. I'm, I'm going to try harder. There's something about our try-harders and our do-betters that are just destined to fail from the beginning because we have a sinful nature. And in all of our sincerity and in all of our good intentions, our do-betters and our promises of performance to God, they never seem to work out. It's only whenever we give up, it's only whenever we surrender, it's only whenever we acknowledge and recognize that we can't do anything for God that we actually can be in a state of being justified by God. There's spiritual power that is unleashed in the lives of people of faith. There is no power in your good works. There's no power in them. There's, there's no power in your human effort to bring about spiritual change in your life. There is no power. You've tried that before. I'm going to do good. I'm going to try hard. You've tried that before. There's no power in that. But conversely, there is power in the lives of people of faith. How many times do we see in Scripture where Jesus affirmed people of faith? Remember the person that came to Jesus and said, help me, and he said, I don't want to give to dogs what is holy. And she said, well, dogs are even allowed the scraps that fall from the table. And he said, never have I seen such faith in all of Israel. We see example after example of Jesus healing people. And he said, your faith has made you well. There is spiritual power that is unleashed in our life whenever we turn to the Lord in faith. And this is nothing new. This is what I want to talk to you about today. This is nothing new. Faith has always been the way. It's not like whenever Jesus came and died on the cross, okay, now faith is necessary. But before that, in the Old Testament, it was all about works. We're going to look at a New Testament example today. Oh, excuse me. We're going to look in the New Testament today at Romans chapter 4 that's going to give us an Old Testament example of a guy named Abraham and we're going to look at Abraham as a model of saving faith. That's what I want to talk to you about. Abraham as a model of saving faith. You see, even in the Old Testament, faith was the way to be saved. Faith was the way to be declared righteous by God. And we see this in the life of Abraham. Now, we're going to be in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 25. 
I'm not going to make you stand while I read all those verses like I always do. That's all. There's a lot of verses. And let me tell you what, I, 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 I got swallowed up in Romans chapter 4 this week. Wow. Okay, life group leaders, raise your hand, life group leaders. Where are you at? I mean, Romans 4, Abraham, did it not just, did it, did, did it not just cover you up trying to study for this lesson? Uh, for me, it did when I looked at Romans chapter 4. And so um, there's a lot that I'm not going to be able to touch upon in Romans chapter 4. Um, and I'm not going to be able to read all of it. What I want to invite you to do is just open your copy of God's Word and uh, just kind of follow along with me as I point out uh, some, uh, some important verses in this passage and make some important points. Uh, but before I do that, I want you to remember a phrase. I want you to remember a phrase by grace through faith. This is the way that we're saved, by grace through faith. I mentioned it last week. Uh, we're going to talk about this a lot as we move through the book of Romans. We are, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. By grace through faith. It's a phrase that's used in the New Testament all the time. It is the summation of the doctrine of what we believe about salvation and about how it occurs. And what we're going to see today is that this is how Abraham was saved. Now, what I find curious is that whenever the gospel, whenever the New Testament writers wanted to give an example of faith, an example of saving faith, an example of what it means to be justified by grace through faith. It wasn't a New Testament apostle. It wasn't um, a famous, well-known person in the New Testament. But when the New Testament writers wanted to find someone that they could lift up and exalt and say, this is kind of a model of faith, a model of saving faith, Abraham from the Old Testament is given as an example. And this is interesting. Three biblical authors name Abraham as the icon of faith. Paul, James, and the writer of Hebrews. And so what we see is, is that Abraham was saved by grace through faith. Abraham was saved by grace through faith, not by works. And we see it right here in these opening verses of Romans chapter 4. It talks about Abraham, and it says that he was not justified by works. If he was, he'd have something to boast about. But then look what it says. It says, Abraham believed God. He had faith in God. He believed God. And it was counted to him. It was credited to him. In other words, he was justified as righteous based upon his faith. So these are verses in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul is quoting from Genesis, the first book of the Bible. The first book of the Bible we see Abraham being justified by grace through faith. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. You say, well, who was this, who was this guy Abraham? You should go back and study the life of Abraham sometime if you have never done that before. We see the iconic example of faith. 
In Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, we basically see that Abraham was descended from idol worshipers. He was not brought up being taught about Yahweh. It's not like he grew up in what you and I would call a Christian family. But God appeared to him in Genesis chapter 12. God appeared to him. He received a special revelation from God that he had never received before. And in Genesis chapter 12, God told Abraham something. He said, hey, I want you to leave your country. And by the way, he lived, he was around uh, uh, what was called Ur at the time, or uh, ancient Mesopotamia. You and I might recognize it, we might would call it Iraq. It was close to modern-day Baghdad is where, uh, is where Abraham was from. And God told him, said, hey, I want you to leave there. I want you to just go to a country that I'll show you. And without any argumentation, Abraham just got up and did it. And so he believed God. He just did what God told him to do. In Genesis chapter 15, God made a promise to Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to bless all nations through you. In Genesis chapter 17, God promised Abraham that he and Sarah, he was a, I think he was 100 and Sarah was 90 or something like that, that they were going to have a child. And then in Genesis uh, chapter 22, after that child had been born, God told Abraham to go sacrifice him and, and to kill him which he did not do. God provided a substitute, which there's a sermon in that. But through all of these circumstances, all of these situations, God appearing to Abraham, telling him to leave his country, God giving him a promise to bless all nations, God promising him a son in his old age, giving him a son in his old age, then telling him to kill that son, and Abraham willing to be obedient to do it. All of this Abraham did in faith. He believed God. He believed God. And the Bible says that it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, check this out. I want to show you some, uh, I want to splash up some verses on the screen as Abraham's faith was counted as righteousness. In chapter 4 of Romans, we see the word count, counts, or counted 11 times. I counted them. Now, I'm not very, I'm not very good at counting. Um, I, uh, I'm not very good at math at all. But I'm pretty good at tracking deposits into my account. Amen? Aren't you good at that? You don't have to be very good at math to count deposits, right? Pull up your online banking. Oh, look, here's a deposit. And uh, you know where it comes from, you expect it, whether it be a reimbursement check, whether it be a paycheck, or whether it be, uh, oh, I don't know, a government stimulus check, like a child tax care, a child tax credit. Huh? Who got that this week? Yeah? Okay, you're scared to raise your hand. It's okay. Um, I can track deposits even though I can't count very well because I'm not very good at math. All of this shows that there was... There was something that was counted to Abraham. To count, in this verse, means uh, something that is calculated or something that is credited or something that is put into one's account or to attribute an, uh, to, uh, attribute an asset. This is what Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 4 was given or was counted to Abraham that because of his faith, his faith was counted to him as 
righteousness. He was justified not on the basis of his works, but it was counted as righteousness. Faith is the only thing that counts. Faith is the only thing that counts. When we're talking about a spiritual life, whether it is being justified before God, whether it is walking with God in sanctification, or whether it is believing God for future salvation in heaven, faith is the only thing that counts. Your works will never change you. I know that's anti-intuitive, but faith is the only thing with the power to do this. Now remember, faith is abandonment. This is what I, I talked about last week and tried to explain to you last week. I tried to give you a lot of biblical examples last week about the rich young ruler. Jesus didn't say, give me all your money and then come follow me. Jesus said, go give all your money away to the poor. In other words, abandon all that money and then come follow me. Jesus went to Peter and John, and he said, hey, come follow me. Oh, just bring, you can bring, bring your nets with you. He didn't say, hey, give me your nets, and then come and follow me. The Bible says they left their nets, and they followed him. Same with Matthew at the tax collector's booth. He left the tax collector's booth, and he went and followed Jesus. On and on we go, all these different places in Scripture. Abraham did the same thing. His heart was abandoned to God. This, I mean, and listen, abandonment doesn't mean little. I'm not telling you that you have to go and give up everything. I'm saying you have to give it up in your heart that Jesus has to be the priority. And this is what Abraham did. Abraham is in heaven today because his faith was counted as righteousness. Just like you and me. You turned to Jesus in faith and you were converted. You were born again. The same thing happened with Abraham. But here's the amazing part. Here's the difference between us and between Abraham is Abraham was justified by faith before Jesus ever lived and died on a cross. Before the fullness of the gospel that you and I just take for granted as we sing about it, as we hear it all the time, and as we memorize it and read about it in the New Testament, Abraham was saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone, before Jesus ever lived, before he ever had his ministry, and before he ever died on a cross. So saved by grace through faith existed before the law was given. Let me explain this to you real quick, because I know you may not have heard, or you may not have heard some of these things before. Romans chapter 4, verse 9 through 13, talks about Abraham being justified or saved by grace through faith or counted as righteousness. And then the Apostle Paul in these verses, he goes on to say that that happened before the law was ever given. That happened before the Lord ever talked about what it meant to be circumcised. Uh, and, and I won't go into detail about that, but this was like a uh, this was like a, a sign of righteousness. It was like a, a sign that, they, that the Jews were keeping the law. Um, and he said, Abraham was justified before God. He was counted as righteous before God because of his faith, because of his belief in God. 
before the law was ever given. Now, now think about, think about this for a minute. Before God said, do not steal, before God said, do not lie, before God said, do not commit adultery, don't have any of God's before me, don't bear false witness, before God commanded that a temple be built, before God had even assembled a people together, before there was even any such thing as a Hebrew or a Jew, before sacrifices were made on an altar in Jerusalem and the blood of which sprinkled everywhere, before any of that law, before all of the things that we read in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, all the ritual and religious and governmental and societal laws, before any of that was ever given, Abraham was saved by grace through faith. Now that is quite amazing because it demonstrates for us how people in the Old Testament were saved. It's not just with Abraham, but people in the Old Testament were saved in the same way. Faith has always been the way to please God. This didn't change with the coming of Jesus. It was more fully explained and revealed to us in Jesus. You see, Abraham received a special revelation from God as the Lord spoke to him and talked to him and appeared to him and worked in his life. And as a result of that, Abraham believed the Lord and he lived, his life proved it. It's the same thing that's happened to us. A special revelation has come to us. God has given us in his word so much revelation of himself. We have the gospel, the truth that Jesus is the, is the Son of God, that he died on a cross for our sin, that he was a substitute payment by his blood. We have received that revelation, and we respond to it in faith. And what happens is, is our faith causes us to look back upon the cross. And we have clarity about the gospel. In Old Testament times, they look forward to some promises that they didn't really completely understand. You see, you and I, whenever we read that God told Abraham that all nations will be blessed through you, we understand that that means that Gentiles are going to one day be among the people of God. Abraham didn't completely understand that. All the things that happened in his life, the covenant that God made with him, how the Lord provided a substitute sacrifice for Abraham's son Isaac. All of that pictured the gospel. All of the law in the Old Testament pictures the gospel. You see, ancient Hebrews, they weren't saved by keeping the law. I mean, after all, what did the law do? The New Testament tells us that the Old Testament law was just a schoolmaster that it pointed us to Christ. I mean, that's, after all, what a teacher does, right? A teacher points you to knowledge. A teacher shows you and points you towards, towards the knowledge that you need. The law was a schoolmaster. All the sacrifices that we see in the Old Testament, they just foreshadowed Christ. All of the ritual laws and the things that the ancient Hebrews and in, in, their, uh, in their society that they followed, it just foreshadowed Christ. But we, listen, we have the same object of faith, except we just look back upon the cross, Jesus, as our object of faith, whereas people, ancient Hebrews and people in the Old Testament, they look forward 
to the promises that God had given them, to things that had not yet happened that they didn't completely understand that you and I do. So here's some examples. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 through 11, look what Peter says. He says, concerning this salvation, you and I know what he means by salvation, through Christ, faith alone, grace alone. He says, prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, think about this, they prophesied about the grace to be yours. They searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person, Jesus, or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. The Old Testament prophets were prophesying things that were pointing towards Christ that they didn't completely understand, that they didn't have all the details about, but they still believed in faith. Jesus said the same thing. Remember in the parable of the sower? And uh, Jesus, Jesus said, you know, the, the disciples asked Jesus, you know, why do you do it this way? And Jesus said, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear. You see, all the Old Testament prophecies about a Messiah, they looked forward to a coming Messiah. We look back to a saving Messiah. It's the same object of faith. Remember the woman at the well in John chapter 4, verse 25? She said, when the Christ comes, he will teach us all things. And he said, hey, I'm here now. So God didn't fully explain himself to people in the Old Testament, but they still had the same faith we do. And they were still justified in the same way that we are. But someone might say, now wait a minute. You have to have faith without full knowledge and understanding? Is that, is that really what God required of people in the Old Testament? They had to have faith without all the details? They had to have faith without all the knowledge. They had to have faith without full understanding. Friends, that's what faith is. If you think that you have full knowledge and understanding about everything that has to do with God, then you are sorely mistaken. If you're waiting for that to happen, it ain't gonna. That's just the essence of faith. This is what Abraham did. That's what the Bible in uh, uh, Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. It says that all of these people, and it lists all of these people, and Abraham is in that big list of all those Old Testament people, and says they all didn't receive the things that were promised, but they saw them from afar, and they welcomed them, and they knew it was for a benefit, for our benefit, for something that was bigger than them. And listen, we do the same things. Do you have faith that you're going to be in heaven one day? Do you have faith in there's going to be a future event in which a, our Messiah is going to reappear and Jesus is going to come back a second time and take us to be with himself? Do you believe that? Yes, you believe that. Do you fully understand it? No, you don't fully understand it. 
any of you in here who think you have your end times theology all worked out and you know exactly the full order of events and how everything is going to happen and what it's all going to look like, any of you that you think you know exactly what heaven is going to look like and how it's going to be, you are sorely mistaken. But what's going to happen is, is one day it's going to happen and it's probably going to be nothing like you had it pictured in your mind. And what are you going to say? You're going to say, I've been waiting for this all my life. You're going to say, I've always believed that this would happen. And, someone's gonna, and someone may ask you, you mean you knew it was going to happen? I was like, no, I had no clue it was going to happen this way. But I just knew. I believed God. The scriptures pointed me in that direction. And I believe what God says. So we're really no different than the Old Testament saints. We look back and we have some detail and we look forward and, and it's still cloudy. They're in that, they were in that same position. They looked back. They had some detail. They looked forward and it was cloudy as far as Jesus on the cross. Praise the Lord. We're on the other side. Jesus has already come and died on the cross. The object of our faith is still the same between Old Testament and between New Testament. And you are not saved unless you have taken a leap of faith. It's just how it works. And the Bible says that we are children of Abraham. This is what it says in Romans chapter 4. Look at this. It talks about Abraham being our father, that we are his offspring. I invite you to do a study at some point about this and compare the promises that God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, 15, and 22, and all those covenants and compare them to the New Testament scriptures that show how those promises have been fulfilled in Christ, through Christ, and with us, the people of God, of all nations, all tribes, all people groups. I just commend that to you. But you might say for now, you might say, well, now, wait just a minute. I thought we were children of God. Yes, we are. We are children of God. But we are also children of Abraham by way of example. God has given him as an example in Scripture, like a primary example that we emulate. You say, now, well, no, wait a minute. Well, not, I'm supposed to be like Jesus. I'm supposed to emulate Jesus. Now, it is true that Jesus was faithful, but Jesus did not need justification. Remember, Jesus was sinless. And Jesus is the object of our faith. So to say that we have to, we have to look at Jesus, and because Jesus can't have himself as the object of his faith, like he's trusted himself in order to be justified. Well, he didn't need to be, he didn't need to be justified. He did believe in God, and he was faithful to God. But we have to remember, Jesus had divine attributes and characteristics. Jesus was all-knowing. Jesus was all-powerful. When Jesus went to the cross, he knew everything that would happen. And during Jesus' ministry, he, Jesus, 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 it was, Jesus was and is God. And so there's nothing that he didn't know then. There's nothing that he doesn't know now. So to say that Jesus is faith unto justification is what needs to be modeled for us. I, I think that's why the Bible has given us Abraham as the model example of faith because Abraham was a sinner just like you and me. Abraham needed to be justified just like you and I do. And modern day Jews are not automatically offsprings of Abraham. 
They weren't in Jesus' day either. Remember, Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, Abraham is not your father. He said, your fa-, he basically said, you're of, your, you're of your father, the devil. He said, you're, that, the devil is your father. And he pointed to some rocks on the ground. And he said, I'm able to raise up from these stones children of Abraham. I'm one of those stones. You're one of those stones. God has raised us up. And our spiritual identity, listen, our spiritual identity is not traced back through Jesus to the Old Testament law. That is not our spiritual identity. Our spiritual identity is not the rule book that God gave to the ancient Hebrews for their society, their government, their religion, and all of those, and, and, and not even really all of their morals, so to speak. Our spiritual identity is traced to those people within that group who had faith in Jesus, because not all of them did. Not all of them did. They lived within their system of law, and they weren't even really, really very good at doing that. Uh, they lived within that system of law, but not all of them had faith in Jesus. And so we look at these examples of faith from the Old Testament, like Abraham, and like David, and Samuel, and Elijah, and many, many more. And we look at them, and we don't say, oh, they were perfect. They followed the law, and therefore they were saved. No, we look at them and we say, those were some messed up jokers, just like me. We look at them and we say, but they had faith. They believed God, and they lived in a way that demonstrated that they were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and through Christ alone. And their faith was unwavering, and so should ours be. Romans chapter 4, verse 19 through verse 21, talks about Abraham. It says, Abraham didn't weaken in his faith. His unbelief, and we know that he had some, we know that he, he, he and his wife kind of giggled a little bit when they thought about having a child at, you know, almost 100 years old. But he, no unbelief made him waver. His faith grew strong. He was fully convinced, and his faith lasted his entire life. Do you know that this is the mark of true faith, that it can't be destroyed? The mark of true faith is that it cannot be destroyed. Saving faith perseveres. If you've been saved by grace, if you've been saved through faith, and if Jesus has been the object of your faith, then you're going to persevere in that. It's one of the things that's going to happen. You say, well, well my faith has faltered. Well, maybe you've had faith in your works. Because like I said before, you try and you try and you try and you fail. And so what do you do? You give up. And then you say, well, I lost faith. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You didn't lose faith. You didn't have faith. You had works. And those are easy to give up on. Those, those are easy, e easy things to say, well, it's just not working for me. But faith, that aspect of surrender that says, I'm giving all of this up. I'm setting it all aside and, and being justified before God. That's something that cannot be destroyed in your life. You know, as Baptists, we call it once saved, always saved. Now, there's other terms for it. Perseverance of the saints. There's all types of terms for it. 
But basically what we're saying is, is that whenever you come to faith in Christ, and when it is a genuine conversion, that you give up on yourself and you turn to Christ in faith, that it's permanent. Remember, when you're justified, God permanently changes your status. It's not something that you undo. It's not something that God ever undoes for you. It is a standing change of status, whereby through faith, by grace, and through Christ, you are now justified and saved. So obviously today, my application to you would be stop trying to do better. Just stop. Stop trying to do better. Just give up. Give up on yourself and surrender to God. That is what the scripture says counts as righteousness. And you're going to see something amazing that will happen in your life. If you'll do that, you'll see something amazing that will happen in your life. And the book of James talks about it. It talks about a faith that leads to works. You'll find that all the changes that you wanted to make in your life all these years and all the work that you had put into it and failed, you'll find that if you'll truly give up and if you'll have faith in Jesus, God will do it through you. You'll find that there is a power through the Holy Spirit that is unleashed in your life for sanctification. And God will do it in your life. You know God does things better than you do? You know that? God knows, how, God knows how to take out the trash better than you do. God knows how to clean up your life a lot better than you do. Why don't you just, why don't you just let him do it? Why don't you just trust him to do it? We got any micromanagers in here? They like to micromanage. You know, odds are, if I invited you to come clean my garage, if you said, hey, I, I said, hey, come, come, come clean my garage for me. I'd stand over you and I'd tell you how to do it the whole time. I would. Man, let me tell you something. Something about my garage. I cleaned it yesterday. When my garage is clean, I am at peace. The house can be a wreck. The house can burn down. But man, when my garage is in order. And if you came into my garage and started rearranging stuff, I'd help you. Okay, let's clean it. I'll help you. All right, you, you do that. You do that. And I might just take you, take you out of the way and just do it myself. You know, that's how, that's how we do our life all the time. We say we invite Jesus into our heart, we invite Jesus into our life, and we want him to clean up our life, but we keep grabbing the broom from him. And we keep wanting to micromanage him, and we keep wanting to do it ourselves. Whenever the Lord's just saying, just step back. Just trust me. 